On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Allianz. Supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz Leagues. We haven't an idea until it gets underway. For those who are not here, Paint as good a picture as you can. A grain of rice is going to tip the scale. Just remember that, lad. A grain of rice. Just, I just, because I love this county so much, you know. And that's it. It is all over. It is just not meant to be. Hello and welcome to the Throw-In Independent GA podcast in association with Allianz. I'm Will Slattery and it's time for our weekly catch-up with Joe Brawley where we discuss all the latest GAA happenings. I started off by asking Joe about the rising number of GA players who are focusing solely on the sport and no longer working. Well, I mean, you can understand, you can understand this. I mean, the, the culture is so professional now. I mean, the, the kind of game has got out, got out of control. The GA has got out of control. And that's why we need a director general who will lead immediately, who will hit the ground running and who will get it back under control. In a lot of cases, the lads are really only starting to venture into the real world when they're 30, mm. 31, when their career's over. And, you know, they're well behind. They're well behind their colleagues. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's a, a vexing problem, but all of these problems have been brought about by the GAA losing control of virtually every part of the organisation. You know, from um, county team managers to county boards, county boards losing control of their finances, um, you know, no no control, no, no sort of control over the decisions that are made in Croke Park. You know, a, a, a development program that's out of control, and you know the failure to um, make sure that just because it checks brandish in front of our nose that we don't take it, that we that we make the decision based on what our principles are. So that, uh, as a friend of mine described to me yesterday, the GAA is eating itself from the inside, and we can see that. So that the big problems aren't being addressed, and uh, everything's drifting. I give it, I mean, I mean mean this, I give it 10, 15 years. And if we continue on our current course, we're not going to have a GAA because the disenchantment will be so great around it. And uh, you'll have an elite game that separates from the the rest of the GAA. When you mentioned uh, the the development squads being out of control, is that what you mean, that there's too much kind of professionalism for the underage squads that they're in? Yeah, well, well, that's completely out of control. Like There are centres of excellence everywhere, so-called. You know, as the game nosedives in quality in most in most parts of the country, um, we have these centres of excellence. And you know what's happening there is that very quickly players are developing a sense of entitlement from the age of 13, 14 years of age. Well, I'm a county player, mm. you know, and that's my priority. The club becomes of secondary importance. The game then becomes to get on a county team. You know, get a county tracksuit, and um, 
you know, all the time the bonds of, you know, the bonds of community are weakening. And, I mean, we see this rat race in counties like Derry, for example, where we've got a flourishing development squad system. <laughs> um, club players no longer, you know, uh, you know, from a young age are feeling increasingly as though they're county players first. And our county teams languishing at the bottom of Division 3, or senior team, after spending half a million pounds on it last year. And, you know, there comes a point where we're going to have to say, look, we're going to have to redraw all these boundaries and say, let's create a more sensible association that more accords with um, the sort of community that we want to have here. Mm. I think one interesting thing you said at the start of mm. when we were talking about, I guess, players entering the workforce when they're 30, I guess the time commitment of inter-county uh, games now is that, like, say for someone like yourself, maybe a, a lawyer or a barrister, like, it's almost impossible for a player, surely, in 2018 to pursue a career like that that requires so much time, given the commitment in GA. Well, well, that's right. I mean, Bernard Brogan said as much. He said, look, you know, uh, he, he made exactly that point last year. Now, Dublin are fortunate because they only have two organised pitch sessions a week. They do their Pilates alone, you know, at a time that suits and they do their yoga, etc. So, you know, we know that they've got two doctors in their ranks and you know, that's a 40-hour week commitment. And then thereafter, you know, you know, again, it's a heavy commitment. I mean, I, I speak regularly to Michael Darren McCauley, you know, and he's working flat out as a teacher. He was working with t- kids with intellectual disability. And, um, you know, he studied very hard for that, but he was able to, he was able to combine things. But, you know, it's becoming virtually impossible in most counties. And we see that. I mean, it reminds me of Johnny Giles' great line about becoming a professional soccer player. He said, you know, that uh, he became a professional soccer player at the age of 15. And 20 years later, um, he retired at the age of 15. Mm. <laughs> you know, that those other essential parts of his life that he'd had to put on hold in the meantime. And so that we see, you know, in counties that are, you know, that are high, higher profile, you know, so we'll say this Mayo, for example, those boys are, they're sort of, they're treated very, very well. You know, they're sort of in the lap of luxury and they've got their sponsored cars and their ambassadors and there's plenty of money swashing around there. You know, Mayo spent a million pound, million euro last year on the seniors. And, you know, we see the sort of privileges that they're accorded, but they're only temporary. That all falls away once they hit 31, 32 and they're gone. That's it. You know, and... Um, the other teams, what about the teams that aren't in those sorts of privileged positions? You know, mm. Lads, 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 soldiering for Cavan or Derry or Monaghan, teams like that. In Derry this year, we have an interesting experiment, which is that the rule is um, that county players will play 15 of the 18 club games. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But again, we know in practice that because of how things have been allowed to drift and because there's no centralised rules on these matters that county managers are dictating. These are issues that we've been discussing, you know, for 10 years now. And, um, you know, the general way that the GA has gone out of control because there's no leadership in almost every aspect of the GA. And, you know, if if the new director general articulates those problems honestly and um, immediately takes action to deal with it, then... You know, we look for the, the support of the vast majority of the GA community. Um, so, I mean, we have so many anomalies. Like, um, you know, I was talking to someone recently who I was trying to persuade to go for the director general's job, and 
you know, he was you know articulating all of those these problems so clearly. Joe, another uh, in- problem that I guess I saw highlighted in a, in a study that was done about how many players from each county are based in Dublin and have to travel back, I guess, is becoming a really big issue and one that's quite tough to solve is that there's so much ba- stuff based in Dublin in terms of people where they have to work yeah. that it's a real problem in terms of the commuting back and that's why I guess a lot of clubs yeah, are struggling. Well, well, like, there's no need for a lot of that commuting. You know, it was people like Jim McGuinness who, you know, tyrannically, you know, ordered that players had to return, you know, and come back to train three or four times a week, you know, and dictated every part of players' lives, what college they could go to, whether they could go there or not. And this is pretty commonplace. But, I mean, the great Kerry Golden Years team, for example, probably the greatest team to ever play the game, their Dublin-based players trained in Dublin. That's what they did. And there was no big fuss about it. And it didn't seem to have any particular impact on them come championship. You know, it's all gone insane. You know, I mean, the, the, the pseudoscience that's around the game now, I mean, nobody nobody really knows whether it works or not. Dublin and Mayo, in spite of all this pseudoscience, Dublin, Mayo and Kerry seem to be winning, you know, seem to be the top three teams regardless. You know, it's not creating any breakthroughs for any other teams. I mean, what age is science giving players? You know, GPS trackers, all that nutritional stuff. What age is it really given players? Um, I, I, I think the scene is becoming dysfunctional and unhealthy. And, uh, you know, and that's from someone who's very, very close to the games in Antrim and Derry. And, you know, he travels the country to GA clubs and to GA events. I mean, that's a common refrain. Mm-hmm. Joe, just before we let you go, I just quickly get your thoughts on, on the weekend's action. Like, obviously, we had rematches of the All Ireland semi finals. What was the big storyline for you or the, or the big takeaway? Well, I mean, again, you see that, you know, um, the teams who've been playing blanket defensive football are finding it extremely difficult to adjust uh, as as the mistake of blanket defence is the sort of illusion has been shattered by teams like Dublin or Mayo who push up on the blanket defenders and the sweepers and hem them in, just the way Kerry do, for example. Well, these teams are really struggling to adjust. I mean, Derry are in absolute freefall now after five years of blanket defending. They didn't know whether to go man-to-man or defend in groups uh, against Longford. And I mean, we got absolutely slaughtered and we're now heading for Division 4. Make no mistake about that. Mm. Um, Tyrone, you know, sitting four or five points down against Dublin. So they get one, two in the first three or four minutes. Um, that's really it. That's their attack and contribution and then. They scored one eight from play overall. And to be fair, in the first half, they, they did they, kick they, a lot of did. good diagonal balls to the corner. They actually made some hay. In they, that. Did, they, they, they did. And they picked, they picked Lee Brennan and, and, and they, 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 they did, you know, there was some sort of semblance of trying to start again to play Gaelic football. But you saw in the second half that they were back in behind the 45 when they were five points down because it has been programmed into their DNA. And, you know, they just laboured to an inevitable defeat in the end. And, uh, you know, they're going to require serious work to to reprogram them. And um, it remains to be seen whether they, they have the imagination to do that. They certainly have the players, make no mistake about it. They have very, very accomplished footballers. But you can't see you can't see forwards thriving. You won't see forwards thriving until there's a game plan that suits them. So, for example, if Paul Mannion was expected was expected to spend his time in the heart of the blanket defence with Con O'Callaghan and Dean Rock, we wouldn't see them scoring. We would see them scoring the odd point 
but we wouldn't see them constantly threatening on the attack the way we do see them. I mean, imagine if Andy Moran wasn't left in the danger zone and balls played to his advantage as part of the team system. Well, I mean, Andy would have retired years ago because he would have got so bored. Hmm. And um, and we see that sort of you know process that's taking place now um, where players are basically having to be re-educated because there are, some, there are quite a lot of players who have known nothing else but the blanket defence coming up through under-17 minor, under-21 senior in counties like Tyrone, where they have known nothing else. So it's a, it's a, it's a big challenge for management to turn that around. Joe, I just but it's good, you know, it's welcome, it's welcome that, we're, that we're seeing the seeds of something different, I think, you know. One last question, Joe. Obviously, there's been a lot of interest in how David Clifford fares. He was playing his third game in six days on Saturday night in Castlebar, and he, he, he had to be withdrawn because of an early injury. Like Far too much. Yeah. It's far too much. You know, I mean, what Eamon Fitzmaurice should have been doing there is saying, look, he got his debut out of the way. You know, it was grand. It was good to get him out there and to get him a feel for it. But then he should have been saying, "Look, this kid's got a heavy schedule now for a while. Look, kid, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stand you down for the next game. You're very very much in our plans. We're gonna let you play your university football now, and then there's ample time to get back. I mean, realistically, Kerry Kerry need to be fit, um, come the middle of June. Mm. That's when they need to be ready. You know, they need to beat Cork and Munster basically, and uh, uh, you know, and and even that that's not that doesn't really pose any formidable problems." Uh, again, the the big success story, as predicted by Tomas O'Shea, has, has been Sean O'Shea. You know, for the second game in a row, he's been absolutely devastating, mm. and and looks, I mean, looks to have cured a really problematic position for Kerry in the longer term. And you know, really, but for this, but for the fact that they were reduced to thirteen men, they look to be really on their way to walloping Mayo. Um, their movement, their their freshness, their energy. And Eamon Fitzmaurice has clearly decided now, look, I can't persist with the old gang. I've got to move on now. And that's 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 reaping dividends. So, um, you know, you'd be very, very optimistic if you were a Kerry supporter watching the way they're playing football at the moment. Brilliant, Joe. Thanks very much. Cheers. That's all we have time for this week on The Throne. We'll be back next Monday for a review of all the football action over the weekend. In the meantime, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye. Allianz. Supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz Leagues.